Hello and welcome to Liberated Tester podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. I am Gunesh Patel. On this show, we uncover secrets to the right mindset and skills to help you succeed in your software testing profession. Hello, hello, hello. Today on the show, we have an absolutely amazing guest who has delivered 510 sessions in her 25 years of software testing career. She is a principal test engineer at Wisela. She has been keynotes for multiple conferences. She has won the TV 100 ICT influencers in Finland for four consecutive years. She is also featured in this year's Agile Testing Days 100 Women in Tech to Follow and Learn. In this part one of the conversation, we have discussed on how to become an amazing version of yourself while working with what you are today. We also discussed art of co-creation and Marit's favorite topic, ensemble programming. So without further delay, let's welcome Marit Piaharvi. Hi Marit. Hi. Thank you for accepting the invite and thank you for being on the show. I'm very very grateful to have you here. How are you doing today? All is good. All's good. Sounds good. Let's start with this. Uh what's what's the uh most exciting thing that you're working this week? So the week only now started. <laughs> so you're asking <laughs> hard questions. Okay, let's go. Let's go back a week and let's Let's see what was the most exciting thing in the last week that you did. I think last week the most exciting thing was that I finally got to a place where we made a release uh-huh. that wasn't scheduled. So one oh. of the changes that I very often try to do in projects is is mm-hmm. that from getting to this kind of like predetermined schedule we would do releases on a continuous flow yeah. so that we would never again be late from any of the schedules because we would never have one uh-huh. and i've been working towards this and last week was the first release that we had that had absolutely no schedule and okay. we made it anyway and everyone was was positively surprised wow that's that's really cool so speaking of these unplanned releases what do you think put you in a place with that much confidence because if you ask me personally i would be terrified if i have to do a unscheduled release is there anything that you do it on a regular basis which helps you put you in this place of confidence i i think it is related to the idea of um, infrastructure as code it's not so much of the process but okay. it's it's the process around the idea that uh, nothing changes unless mm. we change something like like we have version control that controls everything that goes into that release Got so it. i have a way of going and seeing exactly what has changed uh-huh. and this used to, didn't used to be true for me like I, it felt like you know someone changed something and uh-huh. i had no way of knowing that there was mm. that kind of a thing and okay. and that's not true for me anymore like now i can absolutely know what have been all of the changes that are going between you know the previous release and this release and i can make my plans of of testing the release uh with oh. quite much certainty mhm so is there any specific tool that you use for infrastructure as a code or in your pipeline overall Uh, not really anything specific so mm-hmm. it's it's just having all of the configurations and all of the environments as much as we we possibly can generated from code so so uh, our environments are mostly docker environments so mm-hmm. that kind of gives us that that type of of, of structuring mm-hmm. we have a lot of configuration files and they're all in the version control nowadays we don't allow them from outside 
localization okay. files. They have mm-hmm. been recently outside the version control and we're bringing them into version control. So okay. uh, as much as possible, kind of like just making sure that it's all in version control and it's all file format mm-hmm. so that you can have it version controlled and see when it changes. Oh, that's that sounds very fantastic. And the process why it sounds really robust, even by just listening to it, I can feel that confidence which is there in that, right? No, it's just, uh, it is something that I'm already kind of used to. So I think <laughs> this is now probably number t- 12 of my projects that I'm moving from kind of like annual releases to continuous releases. Uh-huh. So I've been, I've been, I've been through this process of, of what do we need to do to build this confidence so many times that I probably have already forgotten half of the things that I take <laughs> now for granted. So it's, it's good that you're asking about this. Yeah, it's good to get into that rhythm and being used to these kind of processes really helps you dedicate time to your actual focus rather than worrying about, oh, if I deploy this, whether this will work or not. And if we, if I do this, will it work or not? So you you focus on testing and other things work out as they wanted to, right? Generally, yes. Yes, correct. Before we move further, first of all, congratulations on completing 25 years, the Silver Jubilee. The journey of 25 years, I know it's really long. I I barely completed 12, but <laughs> uh, in, in, your, in your 25 years, um, what would you say is the biggest challenge that you had to deal with in whether it would be in terms of your personality, work culture wise, what was the biggest challenge? I think probably, well, I first think of, of kind of like, you know, other people, mm-hmm. but I actually think the biggest challenge is just me like people in general, but me in particular. So uh, a lot of times, uh, like I remember the younger me, I was very black and white, kind of like, you know, it's this way or that way, and there's no yeah, shades of yeah. gray. Mm-hmm. And and quality is kind of like an absolute. And 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 I was working a lot on, on things that are kind of negative, kind of like, you know, there's a problem here and here and here. I was mm-hmm. keeping these lists of problems. I, I think one of the biggest insights that have really transformed my career is the idea that, I can say everything that comes to my mind that I observe that is positive uh-huh. in addition to all of the things that are negative. So it is actually even wished for from a tester that they would also say that they are surprised by the lack of bugs in some area mm-hmm. and, and not only about the, you know, the, the negative of, like, I see still this is missing and this is missing. So the so balance of positive and negative, I think that was the biggest one for me to uh, learn. And then this this again being very you know absolute person mm-hmm. yeah it's kind of like binary it's yes or it's no and it's it's nothing else and now uh kind of like being able to live with the idea that it, the default is that we don't have to do anything about it yeah but yeah. we can do uh, any something about pretty much anything mm-hmm. so so those kind of like little mind tricks that you play on yourself yeah. i think those have been the biggest takeaway oh cool but do you do you maybe have regrets in some area that because somehow being binary really helps in dealing with certain situations right and once you have moved from that mindset to being um, slightly balancing over those gray areas um, has it has it really hampered in some of the areas did you observe that you could have done better if you were the younger version of yourself I haven't noticed anything like that but Mm -hmm. it might also be that I tend to believe that uh, you do the best job possible with whoever you are today. 
yeah. and uh, trying to kind of like live in the past or dwell in the past or, mm-hmm. or think about all the mistakes you ever did in the past. Uh, unless you can turn them into some kind of positive force for the future, then you're probably wasting your time with those. So some parts of kind of like uh, being a bit more kind of future-oriented personality, they've also allowed me to forgive the the younger version of myself for all of the the mistakes that I do. And and the human mind is lovely in the sense that that you know you just forget some of the things that are the biggest embarrassments. So it it kind of protects you from remembering some of those details. So there's this saying that uh, when when time passes, yeah, like all your memories become like golden. And and to some extent, I think that's very real of what happens to us. Like we we remember only the highlights, like we remember the lowlights and the highlights. But uh, I'd like to think of it like the glass is a bit more full, fuller than, than empty. So on that side. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was amazing. The first time, the sentence that you said that you have to work with what you are today and having no regrets about past i think that very much is something that i needed to hear because there are there are few things that people usually dwell that oh i should have done this then i would have been this or i should have done that then i would have been better at this or stuff like that right but you 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 were bang on in that point what you have to work with what you are today that would help you uh, succeed in what you're doing today all right also um, when you were doing um, testing for these many years what was one particular very interesting bug or a defect that you might have come across and uh, what is that uh, one thing that you think that might have improved your chances of not finding this bug was it was there anything that you could have implemented as part of your strategy and that would have helped you not get into that situation uh, if the teams would talk to each other more mm-hmm like the two end teams, yeah. if they would just spend time together to talk about or kind of co-design some of the features instead of uh-huh. having this kind of per team design, we could have avoided uh, some of this stuff. But when you have big enough organizations, it's really difficult to get everyone to the right table with the right conversation Got at it. the right Got time. It. Yeah. So communication is basically the key where you would have avoided that. I'm a big believer in the idea that uh, most bugs that end up in production are things that the developers mm-hmm. misunderstood or didn't know of. So a lot of the stuff that we are seeing as bugs, mm-hmm. they're actually things where uh, it's kind of like we're passing messages to developers and, and they're trying to handle so many messages in one go that mm-hmm. they just kind of overflow with some of the information and we just you know can't deal with all of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. And I've been trying to figure out ways of changing that communication so that the control of the it pulling the information is where the mm-hmm. best information is needed. So some of the, the ideas around turning the communication so that the developers get help from others rather than others are pre-determining for developers what the features are. Yeah. Um, yeah. That helps avoid a lot of these problems. Mm-hmm. And. Rather than pushing the information, pulling the information works always better, right? Once you have a system where you can just pull the information, it works in everyone's interest so that nobody has to chase anyone, nobody has to get alongside anyone and then just everything works out pretty well on the communication side. Yeah, I definitely agree. I'm a big fan of of pull systems (laughs) and and I pretty much, uh, well, I build everything to to that principle. So uh, speaking of pulling information, the only medium that I can think of is like maybe an automated dashboard where you can see all the test results, you can see what happened and everything. 
but are there any other mediums that you have come across or you have devised yourself for helping pull information other than these dashboardy kind of things so again uh it really depends on who's pulling the information it's mm-hmm. usually the developers who are pulling the information Mm-hmm. and uh testers in those teams or business people in those teams are providing that information yeah so uh dashboards making sure that it's so simple that you can just always see green and and you don't have to react uh so that it's it's not noisy it's it's yeah. kind of a central part of of all of that but it's also making sure that the things that go on those dashboards is uh, kind of like versatile enough and having those concepts available uh, and visualized in some way I, I, okay. i think that's kind of what what i usually expect to see mm-hmm. speaking of visualization i think uh, you are a big uh, fan of sketch noting and i have seen lot of posts where you have sketch noted and i've seen multiple reposts where people have just reposted your sketch notes so where did this love for sketch noting came into being was there any is there any story behind it or was there any particular incident that triggered it so i'm really bad at drawing so most of my things are not sketch notes as such because okay. sketch notes are these kind of handwritten hand drawn uh, things i do some of those and it usually takes me a lot of time when i have to do a handwritten okay. uh, bit and i'm i'm trying to learn that so uh, i i see really nice summaries that communicate uh, ideas and concepts Uh-huh. if you can draw a picture out of that so mm-hmm. i've been trying to learn that particular uh, skill but i do a lot more of that around post it notes so my usual okay. sketches are kind of like you know you draw a circle and and you put a text label inside and 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 it's it's actually not handwritten or hand drawn in the same way but it's again the same idea of of kind of illustrating those concepts yeah and you can read you know like you can read the 10 page article about testing challenges or you can look mm-hmm. at that one picture and say like yes 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 that's the challenge area that i have so kind of like we 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 have as humans we have this tendency of recognizing patterns and remembering shapes yeah, better yeah. than than uh, mm-hmm. remembering the details and i in particular I, i can't remember anything unless i draw Uh, and 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 kind of like create the visual representation for myself so everything is always a picture and i might sometimes go and draw it on a whiteboard and uh-huh. i'm a big believer in not reusing the same picture but kind of like you know recreating it for the moment mm-hmm. because i've also noticed that uh, the way people learn is that if they're part of creating that picture yeah then you have a common context and and you've learned a lot more so some of the best trainings are not the ones where you have a slide of of an amazing mm-hmm. picture mm-hmm. but you actually had an empty slide and you co-created that picture so yeah. that it you know it might look different different times but it has the same essential concepts behind it yeah co-creation also helps the interaction and overall what do you say dynamics of the group which you are participating with right but how do you make sure these things in virtual environment i mean physically i can understand but in virtual environments uh, even though we got a lot of tools but it sometimes is always challenging to convey what you're saying right have you faced these kind of challenges in virtual setups 
I have the same challenges in the the virtual or the remote environment as I had uh, in the the other ones. So I'm mm-hmm. the one who goes on the whiteboard and I'm the one who draws, and the others are just speaking and then I'm modeling. Like a lot yeah. of times, it's me alone on the whiteboard, and I'm usually lucky in a ten person team if there's two people who come, mm-hmm. you know, me and someone else who go on that whiteboard. And I have the same sense in in the the uh, remote world. Okay. That it's it's very often kind of like me drawing, mm-hmm. and and the other ones talking. But I don't see that that as a as a necessarily a big problem. And sometimes when you have a bigger group, I usually create these kind of like parking areas of ideas that they don't know uh-huh. where exactly they would like to put them. But yeah. there's like parking areas around whatever we are modeling where mm-hmm. they can put notes of things that they want to bring into that that conversation. So okay. kind of like if you have the visual in middle, then you can have mm-hmm. some kind of parking areas around it, and okay. it helps people. Uh, also the the more quiet ones to kind of like find the space of bringing their own ideas in and again uh not everyone needs to put a sticky on the, yeah. the picture yeah. to mm. feel that the the session was worthwhile mm. so again uh, i have out of ensemble testing and ensemble programming, I have this idea that either you are learning or contributing. And if this is not true, then probably the setup is not correct. So you could have a smaller group so Uh that everyone gets to be either learning or contributing, but learning in that group and kind of like, you know, following how things are built and allowing yourself that quiet space. I think Mm -hmm. we're not appreciating that always enough. And somehow it was easier for us to approve of that in the the, uh, office Office space, yeah, than, than it is in the remote setup. Yeah, that's absolutely correct. I mean, one thing that you said is not everyone has to put up ideas, right? The the concept of parking area, I think I heard for the first time, but it's it's really really cool idea to just keep things there and then let other people decide if they want to put them in some place. Not necessarily everyone has to contribute an idea or a point, right? And in that case, I think the parking area would really be a conversation starter or an icebreaker kind of a thing where you talk to people and say, oh, this is this is the idea. Where do you want me to put it and stuff like that? I'm hoping I'm making sense in that. And also I've noticed that sometimes it's really good that, you know, you start with the idea that uh, you're not optimizing your own time. Mm-hmm. If you want to create some kind of a, like good outcome, yeah. where everyone is involved in that. Having mm-hmm. a workshop where everyone shows up at the same time might not be the best way to do it. Like, mm-hmm. for example, you can show up personally online for the whole day, and then you can schedule half an hour slots for everyone in your team. And then they will show up for their half an hour slot, and yeah. they will work for that half an hour slot from wherever the previous pair left off. And and that's really the mechanism that creates some of the best materials. Like there's the common understanding because you kind of like build on top of whatever the previous people were doing, but you also have like a host, like an owner of of that creation where others are just integrating their stuff and continuously reviewing it. So sometimes just kind of uh, not optimizing the time that you personally have to use, but kind of like allowing longer time frame for yourself mm-hmm. uh, can really amp up the quality of whatever you're trying to model or or create. Correct. And it is, even though they are doing in a serial fashion, it's, it's, it's also co-creating something, right? It doesn't have to be that you have to be co-located or you have to be in the same time zone. People can come, come and pick it up after you and then you can say, oh, okay, this is what they did. Now we put on this X amount of stuff and then tomorrow we'll review it again that's also kind of a very nice process of co-creation we created something like this for the selenium community Uh i mean the selenium project leadership group uh, or committee this year 
well, no. since last summer, basically. And uh, we needed to kind of create ideas of things we could use our money on because we've uh-huh. been collecting some money over the years and we want to really somehow build forward the, the Selenium user base and the community. And, and I just basically, I, I, I scheduled some, some sessions online and people showed up and talked with me mm-hmm. on all the things we could do. And it's like 30 things now on the list. Oh. So now the the trouble is kind of like prioritizing which ones we do first and yeah. and and making sure that we don't take uh, take too many things in in one go. <laughs> yeah, I and I think on one of uh, the podcast you mentioned you weren't a public speaker as which is very difficult to digest right now. When when uh, did you actually started uh, with the public speaking in the conferences? What was what was that one driving force, and when this this change came into actually? Uh, my first public conference talk is from two thousand and one, and before that time, uh, I remember <laughs> like I think it was nineteen ninety seven when I was still back in school uh-huh. studying computer science, yeah. and I had a job that I wanted. Mm-hmm. Uh, the student union was looking for a, it wasn't even a chairman, it was kind of like a secretary of the so, uh, student union. It was a paid position. I had been very active in the student union and I was kind of like very strongly feeling like I wanted to somehow, you know, spend my time more, but yeah. get paid for, for the work mm-hmm. that I was doing. And I needed to introduce myself. And um, I almost fainted in, in front of the audience of 30 people. Okay. Uh, on just saying who I am and 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 what do I want, and obviously I didn't get the job, but it it uh, created this sense of of uh, failure and sense mm. of uh, this is not who I want to be. This is not the life that I want to have. Got type it. of of, of sense. Yeah, and I decided that I need to start working on it. So I took mm-hmm. a job then uh, in the university on the teaching side. Okay. Uh, with poor students who couldn't run away from me, uh, learning to speak <laughs> in public in front of them, even in, in even smaller groups, like it was really small yeah, groups that yeah. I uh-huh. needed to work with. And uh, one by one, session by session, uh, uh-huh. I got from the stage of uh, uh, basically fainting in front of people to just shaking in front of people to realizing that uh, uh, the camera doesn't see that I'm shaking to yeah. actually get into a place where I no longer shake. Mm-hmm. So uh, it's really a process of learning and kind of like repeated rehearsal. And by 2001, I had a few uh, smaller groups already behind me so I could go and do some of the sessions in public. Wow. Wow. 2001 is a long, long way back, it seems like. I was, I think I was still, I was still in a, like junior high that we call here, right? So after college, you oh, sorry after school you go to a junior college. So that's that's what I was attending. I think two thousand one. Wow. Yeah, it's that's, been a while, and I have yeah. since then. I've delivered about actually five hundred and ten after today. So I had a session earlier today that I delivered. So five ten is the number of sessions goodness. I have delivered since that <laughs> first public speaking session. Wow, five hundred and ten! Amazing, amazing. So you mentioned Ansible programming right earlier. Um, I briefly looked at the book. I didn't uh, get the chance to actually go through the whole thing. In that particular setting of Ansible programming, the the roles that you defined, right? Um, I believe there are four type of roles, correct? 
Yeah, there's the driver, yeah. uh, the person who is on the keyboard. Yeah. Then there's the navigator, the person who is kind of speaking out loud so that anything can happen on the keyboard. Yes. Then there, well, actually like a designated navigator. Then there's mm -hmm. other navigators uh, mm -hmm. because, you know, anyone from the group can pitch in. But Got if it. we need to kind of make a decision between all the different options, then it's the uh -huh. designated navigator who would do it. Yeah. And usually then there's a facilitator who might mm -hmm. help with the, the group dynamics and take care of, for, for example, changing the roles on a regular schedule. Got it. So in terms of uh, these roles that you have in the Ansible programming, what do you think may be the best suited role for a tester to pick up without changing or without working on too much of any of the skills that they currently have. So whatever tester skills usually are there, what is one of the best fitted role in these setup that they can perform very easily? I think uh, just being one of the people in the ensemble. Mm -hmm. Because again, even if you didn't know any programming as a tester, yeah, uh, when you sit in front of that keyboard, when you are on that driver's seat, Mm -hmm. It's not you who needs to be writing that code alone. You have the entire ensemble to help you write that code. So they might yeah. tell you kind of like type letter by letter, write V-A-R. Now you need a space, blah, 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 whatever. And, and round by round, you will pick up these things. Like it doesn't take you long before you realize that, okay, this is, this is what they mean when they say introduce a variable. So you start doing that, that stuff. That's how I kind of got into programming again after years of not having been in that mm -hmm. uh, space. But it's also kind of like after you're off that hot seat, which is always yeah. feels like it's, it's the, the hot seat when you're on that keyboard, you can use your, your kind of like listening and suggestion skills and just propose things like uh, if it's like a, uh, maybe it's a web application that you're programming for right now, you could suggest like, uh, I'm bored of seeing this Chrome. Like, can we try Firefox for a change? Yeah, or maybe yeah. we should try Safari. Like I've, uh -huh. I've uh, discovered multiple problems by just suggesting a change. Like, I don't like using the same user. Can we just change the username to something else? Mm. Here's mm -hmm. another one. So kind of like injecting the variation that you would inject in your own work, you can yeah. do that as a member of an ensemble just as well. Mm. So that is, that is it looks like a very um, similar things that we usually do in testing that we can also implement in that setup and still help the whole group as a whole to come up with a better solution or I don't know, but better way of doing or putting things, right? Yeah. So again, it, it looks very similar, but a lot of times what we're doing there is we're working with the development environment. So how much we can contribute and how familiar it feels, it depends on how different the development environment, mm -hmm. developer environment is from what you are used to thinking of as, as test environment. So uh, as, as long as uh, those two are kind of aligned, it's, it's easier to do. But of course, also uh, when it, it's, well, if it ever isn't aligned, uh, it might make sense to also remind the developers to check their end result in the actual environment in the way that you are used to looking at it and, and kind of learn, uh, learn the differences or learn the, the things that you, you could do already earlier. Mm -hmm. And again, it's a learning experience in the sense that it might first feel like, you know, you're living in a, like a parallel universe, like yeah. the things that you need to interject into are things you've never done before. Mm. But having uh, kind of like regular retrospectives, conversations of like, I would have liked to do this. Uh, could we do that next time? Uh, and, and then it, you know, kind of 
changing the way you work, you probably will find a very good way of, of working together. And like, I have so many stories of ensemble programming with uh, a group of developers where they're kind of like, oh, we need to, you know, fix this. We need to tweak this. And, and there's so much to do here. I'm like, actually, why are we doing that? No user would actually do that. Yeah. So some yeah. of the things where I usually get the feedback as testers, like no user would do that. I was saying the same thing in those ensembles of like, we don't need to do anything <laughs> that complicated. The simpler thing is, is you know, sufficient here. So Good. kind of like being the hands-on uh, person who knows mm -hmm. what is necessary and, and yeah. what is sufficient. Uh, it can be very valuable and, and you can avoid a lot of work by, by having that information available in the moment. Correct. So whatever testers uh, have experience with in terms of adding the variations or maybe having that extra business knowledge that we have, right? So that that also helps in actual programming setup. And I think if we implement these things very early in the life cycle, I think that clearly helps build a product the right way rather than going after and testing it numerous times and then finding defects and getting into that whole cycle is uh, doesn't doesn't work for anyone, right? So that's yeah. that's something that we use, yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And again, like you know, even if you got involved later, you can also mm. do ensembling on the fixes. Like when you have that list of problems that you have found, don't write bug reports. Get the mm. group together and ensemble on fixing them. Like then you will see where they will go to fix mm. those bugs. You can build also your understanding of of the application that way. So there's any you know any programming assignments can be done in an ensemble format. So it could also be the bug fixes that you do. Maybe pairing is is more likely on a mm. bug fix rather than an ensemble. Yeah. But uh, this whole kind of idea of of uh, you bringing your knowledge, maybe you bringing the history knowledge. Mm. And, and kind of reminding on the things that have failed in the past. Correct. And, and, and having that accessible in the moment when you might be making those mistakes. Mm. People mm. just forget uh, how big mistakes we have avoided when we actually, you know, it was just this close that we made the mistake. We kind of made it, but it was already fixed. So, so it's kind of gone yeah. right away. Yeah. And it saves mm. a lot of time for, for the teams. Yeah, absolutely correct. One that that particular time of moment where you say, "Oh, this could have been this," then that would actually changes the course of what we are doing, and then puts you on the right path right there. But one thing that you mentioned that even the big bug fixes can be ensembled. In that sense, um, the delivery things and delivery schedules are really tight for everyone, right? So having that much time of everyone, how do you? I mean, how would you? justify or how would you make senior leaders believe that this is something which is really productive and though we are pulling the whole team into it how what what are some of the things that we could say to leadership okay now every everyone in the team is going to be three hours in this meeting and we are going to fix these seven bugs or eight bugs whatever that is so but sometimes there is a resistance right um, that you would be wasting time you don't need to see code or whatever that perception is so how do you how do you make them believe that this is actually something productive that we're doing? Uh, sometimes I make them believe by talking to them. Sometimes I fail at making them believe, and mm -hmm. and we do it anyway. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it's uh, not that you need a permission for everything. Actually, like you yeah. can also do things that you believe in within mm -hmm. your development team without asking uh, for permission. Yeah. But a lot of times when we talk about these uh, kind of tight schedules and, and, and how we have so little time, mm. 
Mm-hmm. It's interesting how we have time to do things twice and three times or even five times, kind of fixing, <laughs> fixing, and fixing. And we don't have the time to do it, you know, together correctly uh, in one go. Yeah. So yeah. some of this is kind of like just pointing out that it's it's weird how there's always time when there's a problem, mm. but there's no time to avoid the problems. Uh, a lot of times I, f- I find that, you know, some of the teams that I work with, uh, they like starting together in an ensemble and then kind of distribute back to, you know, individual work mm-hmm. and maybe kind of like start together and then finish together, maybe kind of like in between you can do also individual contributions. But uh, it's having those little success stories of, of mm. we did this, it took us, you know, this approach and the benefits was, was this. Mm. It, that's kind of what you need to just start collecting and, and sharing as stories. And training-wise, taking two hours to practice something, kind of like, you know, cleaning up your code or creating some test cases and, and start creating those stories. Mm. That's usually where it starts from. And I think we often say the leadership is is hesitant, but I find that it's always the developers who tell me that the leadership is hesitant, even (laughs) when I'm representing the leadership that isn't hesitant at all. Yeah, (laughs) that's that's kind of a a paradoxical thinking, right? So it's again, chicken and egg kind of a situation where, oh, you say, oh, no, these, these are the people who are not allowing me. And then they come back and say, no, we are allowing you. You are not coming up with the solution. So, yeah, it, it it happens. Again, I think it goes back to the same thing that we said, communication, right? Communication between the teams has to be really that solid that you understand each other's expectations and their stand or where they come from to really drive the dynamics. I remember this one ensemble, I, mm. I brought together four senior developers and myself, okay. and it was kind of like a feature that we needed to implement and, and none of us really knew exactly how to do it, but we had some ideas and, and there were supposedly people who would know how to do this in okay. that group. Okay. And it took us three hours and we couldn't get it done. We, mm-hmm. we just couldn't build it. Yeah. And yet we had a conversation after those three hours claiming we would have been able to do it alone. Like four of the smartest people in that company together couldn't do it in three hours. And yeah. yet they were insisting that alone they, you know, somehow magically could have done it. <laughs> and I was like asking, like, what did you not to do? Like, was there some Googling that you should have done that uh-huh. you didn't do because you were kind of shy of the others? Or No, no, no. Like we, we did everything we could in those four, uh, three hours. Uh-huh. But still they insisted that somehow they could have done it alone. And probably, again, kind of like, you know, one single person using four times three hours in that could have, you know, done more work on, on that mm. particular thing. But the understanding was that we already knew what we would do, but we just needed kind of like multiple people together to mm. to synchronize certain aspects mm. of it. But, yeah, it's always interesting how these, these explanations come and go. And, and it's just kind of having that conversation, whether yeah. it's with your teammates or senior leadership that, that you need to have. And, and just time box some kind of a small chunk of time mm-hmm. to have your next experience. That's usually what works best. Correct. And I think, um, like you said, it, it's having that conversations, right? I always, always have this question that how can we drive change when we are so um at the end of the life cycle right so if you want to have that driving change kind of a mentality right we come very late in the play like if you if we were to 
give a cricket analogy we come 6 down 7 down and then the game is almost lost it's it's like that so from that position how do you come into a position where you say okay these other things that you said can't be changed but this is how they can be changed so how how what are some of the ways we can do that so <clears throat> this is kind of peculiar because i don't come in that late <laughs> i very often come in as the very first person uh-huh so uh when i was doing customer projects uh i was there before we even made the contract Mm-hmm. And some of the things I learned is is that if testers create contracts, we pay tenfold amounts of money for the same software because yeah. seeing risks early on means everything is going to be more expensive. It. So it's not a good time to actually involve the the kind of conversations we often uh, will end up having as as testers. So it's too mm-hmm. early. There's there is a thing called too early. Yeah. And uh, it's not just that the the others couldn't have also those early conversations; that it's somehow specialized just to testers. You can also create development contexts where there's these conversations without testers. Yeah, uh, where it's not a problem to come in the end and and just add something on top of it because not everything is off. But then there are, of course, projects where if you come in late, it feels like the the game is already played and lost, and and there's nothing. Yeah, uh, yeah, that you can do, and sometimes I've said that uh, I'd just rather walk away if I have to come that late. Mm-hmm. It's just that I don't want to be doing that work. So I've been using this metaphor of, of kind of collecting pizza boxes for others. I don't think no. that's the work that I'd like to be doing. That's Get not it. what I consider the purpose of a professional tester. Mm-hmm. It is sometimes the service that I have ended up providing. Yeah. Uh, but uh usually then through these metaphors to talking about those pizza boxes mm-hmm. uh we usually get to places where we change the the uh, responsibility setting so that uh less is expected of the testers uh and more is expected of the team and that then frees up some of the the testers time in kind of following the next ongoing features and not just being kind of like you know crazily going around and and trying to pick up all the pizza boxes somebody left behind so yeah. it's really looking at the the kind of the dynamic and actively trying to have the conversations to change that Mm-hmm. but to some extent uh when you are already close to that release and you have these pizza boxes that are already left lying around yeah it yeah. does make sense to collect them right now <laughs> and just kind of talk about that uh, you know next time we want to change the way we we yeah. work yeah next time we don't want to leave the boxes up till the end yeah that's yeah. that's the thing that we want but i really like the pizza box analogy there it's it really fits into the context and it really makes the point very bang on thank you for tuning in today i hope you found it useful if you did learn something new today please follow us on instagram linkedin and also share rate subscribe to the podcast so that you get the notifications for the new episodes as and when they are launched Thank you for being here it really means a lot to me until we meet again it's a goodbye from my side take care and be in great health thank you